Welcome to Outreach Church. Thanks for checking out this week's message. To hear more, subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or visit outreachchurch.net for downloads and service information. Good morning. How are you guys? So good to be here this morning. I missed uh, being here last week. Zach did an awesome job, though. I was driving home with one eye on my phone listening to it. Um, and just really proud of him and, and very thankful for him and, and for this place. And that's um, you know, crazy. It's, it's been, what, I guess nine plus years. And it never gets old gathering together and worshiping together. It never feels like a burden. I, 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 was, I was talking, um, I was listening to a podcast recently, and the, the guy was talking about um, feeling the pressure of coming up with a message for Sundays. And, and that's, that's, that's him. But I was like, God, I'm so thankful I've never felt the pressure to come up with a message. Like, I've never felt a, a, a pressure on me that, oh, I have to have something to say. It's like, God, I just, I'm so thankful that I can be in this place of, of walking with you and knowing you and trusting you and believing that, like, if Sunday morning I'm supposed to stand up and feed the people of God that you've entrusted me to, then you certainly have something to say to them. And you'll never let me down. And, um, and it feels like a get-to. It feels like a joy. It feels like a, a privilege. Um, and and par- a, a big part of that is because of you guys, because you come hungry. Like, there's this promise in the Word. It says, if you hunger and thirst for righteousness, you'll be fed. Like, the hungry will receive. And so when you come here hungry, like, God has no, like, he has no choice but to honor his Word and to feed everybody. And, and I just get to happen to be uh, the person who stands in that place of, of opening my mouth and him giving me words to speak, or Zach gets to be that person, and there's a hunger that, that pulls on the, the, the God that's inside of you and the word that's inside of you, and so it, it's really exciting, and it's fun, and I just love being here with you. I really do. Um, <clears throat> if, if you have your Bibles, um, open them up to First Thessalonians chapter 5. There's something that's really been on my heart for a while. Um, a lot of times when I'm, when I'm preaching, it's something that God's been, been talking to me about for a while, and finally it gets to the point where, like, I need to share this, and so it becomes a message, but it's really something he's been talking to me about for a while, and, and something that I've, been, I've noticed in my life, and when you start noticing it, then, it, you know, it's like when you get a car, you notice all the other cars like yours, when you're looking for it, you see it, and, it, and it's one of those things where it's like, the more I thought about it, the more I noticed it. Um, and the more it, it, it started to show up, and I started to see the value of it or see the, the good of it and everything. But um, in First Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 15, First Thessalonians 5 is an amazing chapter. Paul gives so much just basic instruction to the church. And, and, and in chapter 5, verse 15, he says this. He says, no, see that no one repays another with evil for evil, but always seek after that which is good for one another and for all people. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. In everything give thanks. For this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Do not quench the spirit. Do not despise prophetic utterances, but examine everything carefully. Hold fast to that which is good and abstain from every form of evil. God, I thank you for your word. I thank you that it's alive, God, that 
that are, they're not just sterile words on a page, Father, but there's life in them. That Your words to us, God, are spirit and they're life. And that, that the spirit inside of us, God, takes your word and makes it alive inside of our hearts. God, that, that it wouldn't just be a principle that we know, but it would be your truth that transforms us and becomes who we are, God. That this life wouldn't be about simply trying to live a certain way. It would be about becoming who you've created and intended us to be so that our lives would reflect you to the world around us, God. That we could represent Jesus. That we could show people what you're like through the way that we live our lives. That you could manifest your glory in the earth through your people, surrendered and yielded and submitted to you and living after your spirit. God, I thank you for that. I thank you that as we, as we sing and worship and teach and, and read and pray, Everything we do today, God, would be transforming us more and more into the image of your son, Jesus. God, I thank you that we look more like Jesus today than we did yesterday, and that tomorrow we'll look more like him than we did today, God, as we're being ever transformed into the image of your son. We thank you for that. God, we ask you to do what only you can do and make this alive to us, God, that it would feed us, and that it would change us in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, Because that's the truth, right? The Word of God is meant to transform us. It's it's not meant to be just knowledge in our head and a principle to live by. Like, there are times when you live by principle, and and if that's where we're at, is we're living by a principle, that's okay. But don't settle for just living by a principle. Ask God to reveal the truth to you, and that that actually transforms you so that it becomes who you are. Like, you you can do things, but it's better to be things. Like, you can, you can give, but it's better to be generous. You can, uh, you can, you can act kind towards someone or, or speak kindly, but it's better to let the, yourself be transformed to the point where you actually are kind, where you're not having to think in that moment, what does Jesus look like in this moment, or what does love look like in this moment, where you actually have been transformed to the point that you're, you trust your response. Like, put a guard over my heart if if there's things in my heart that need to be guarded, God, but transform my heart so that I can actually trust what's in my heart looks like you so that when I open my mouth and the contents of my heart come out, it looks like Jesus. Like, that's the goal of Christianity is that we would become like him. The goal of our instruction is love, sincere conscience and and faith. And, And it's like, this is the goal. And so I can't settle for just knowing things. I can't settle for just knowing what it looks like to be like Jesus. I have to be transformed and become like him. Because there's going to be times where you can't think. And what's in will come out. It's in those places where we see, like, like when, when it talks about thy word have I hid in my heart that I may not sin against you. It's like, God, I've taken your word and I've hid your word in my heart to the point where it's transformed me. So that when I open my mouth, it reveals what's in my heart. most things that come out of your mouth are things that you've put in there long before they came out. You didn't invent the curse word when you smashed your thumb in that moment. You had already thought about it and maybe already said it and it already became part of your vocabulary so that when there was opportunity, it's what came out. But you can remove stuff just as easily as you put stuff in. I, I don't know what happened, but there was a time in my life where I... I cursed nonstop. Like it was just part of everyday language. Like it had lost its effectiveness probably in, in communicating feelings because it was just what you said. It was like every other word. It, it didn't like it wasn't there was nothing special about it. It just was filler to the next regular word, you know? And 
I got born again and, and that left. And I know there's people that are like, well, you know, I just I don't, I don't have a conviction about that. Well, that's okay. Like, but the truth of the matter is, is I promise you when you're standing in front of him, the words that come from your mouth are probably not going to be profane. So why don't we realize that we're standing before him every day? It's not to be legalistic. It's just to say, like, I've never, I've never found an instance where Jesus felt the need to speak in a way that was something he learned from the world rather than something he heard from the Father. He said, the words I speak are not my own, but my Father who's in heaven. Coincidentally, the words that came from his Father in heaven never lined up with cursing of the day. Take that and do it. It got quiet all of a sudden, right? But that's just the truth. Like, but but that, what I'm saying that to say, like, like it, what you've put in is going to come out unless you actually seek it out and say, God, I, I, that's what repentance is. Repentance is seeing that something I've given my life to is less than he died for me to have. And I actually change the way that I think because I see truth and the lie has to go away. And so, so, yeah, there's sorrow, and yes, you know, there may be tears and all that. So that's a valid expression of repentance. But true repentance hasn't worked its complete fruit in me until I've actually changed and turned from one thing to another, and I've changed the way that I think so that the way that I think lines up with the way that he thinks. That's the fruit of repentance. So in, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 15, when Paul's writing this stuff, he says, See that no one repays another with evil for evil, but always seek after that which is good for one another and for all people. Real simple. The enemy wants to reproduce himself inside of you. The Spirit of God wants to reproduce Jesus inside of you. And you get to choose which one is going to have their way in your life by the things that you do and the decisions that you make. The enemy would love to reproduce himself inside of you. He would love to. It's why he had them eat the fruit. Why? There's the, the, sin, the, the seed of sin would get inside of them and then it could reproduce over and over and over and over again. So that every man would pass down sin to the next generation. It was a nonstop cycle. Everyone was born into that thing that Adam and Eve gave themselves to. But Jesus came and, and he said he's the firstborn among many brethren. Meaning what? Meaning he was the first, but there's supposed to be a bunch like him. And he's the first fruit of God. And he comes and he redeems humanity. And he says, now you have the opportunity and you have the ability to be born again because of my obedience and my death on the cross. Now to you, it's capable that you can actually die to who you were and be born again, a new creation in me, created in the image and the likeness of the Father. And now Jesus can begin to reproduce himself inside of you. And so he says, don't repay evil for evil. Why? There should be no evil inside of you. The only way that evil gets inside of you is if you let it. You understand when Paul said, don't give the devil a foothold, it meant he couldn't take one. You have to give it to him, but he'll take every one you give him. Every one. And so he says, don't repay evil for evil, but seek after which is good for, for, for all people. And what is he saying? He's saying, listen, even the people who've done evil to you, your, your desire for them should be good. Why? Because all you should have inside of you is good. Like if you, it's not, you shouldn't have this choice 
of am I going to respond with evil or am I going to respond with good? There's not two devils, you know, like a good angel and a devil sitting on your shoulder and you're trying to decide which one. Like that was settled when you surrendered your life to Jesus. You said no to that one forever and turned your back on it. And now the only voice that you're supposed to be listening to that Jesus said, the voice of a stranger, they just won't follow. Why? Because they hear my voice and they know my voice. That means in every situation, the voice that I'm listening for and the voice that I'm looking for should be his, and it's always going to lead me to good. Why? Because he's good. So there's no chance that I could repay evil for you. This wasn't like a, a laundry list. He wasn't saying like, okay, when someone does evil to you, now remember, you have to choose not to do evil, but to do good. In Paul's thinking, he's thinking you've been born again and transformed, and the Spirit of God lives inside of you. Your life now is, is hidden in Christ. There should be no desire for evil inside of you because you're no longer evil. Your desire should be good. So this, is like a, this isn't like a, a thing of him saying like, hey, if you want to be a super Christian, here's some, some rules and some goals. He says, see that no one repays another with evil for evil, but always seek after that which is good for one another and for all people. Simple. It's either good or evil. Should never be responding with, to evil with evil, ever. It's never justified. Well, you don't know what they did. It proves that you don't know what he did. That statement in our mouths proves that we're, we, we have lost sight of Jesus in that moment. If I can look at somebody and say, well, and, and someone was to come to me, if I was to, to respond to someone in a way that's not good, that's evil, and someone was to come to me and point that out, and my response to them was, well, you don't know what they did, it means in that moment I've lost sight of what Jesus has done for me. Because if I'm looking at him and my eye is single, my whole body's flooded with light. There's no place for darkness. And so I have to actually take my eyes off of him and what he's done and his goodness in order for me to respond in an evil way. I have to actually allow darkness in so that darkness has a way to come out. Why? Because if I'm looking at him, if my eye is single, my whole body's flooded with light. That means when I open my mouth, the light comes out. You guys, second service, they're going to love this stuff. They're going to be so loud and obnoxious about it. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, and everything give thanks, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. I've heard so many people say over the years, like, I just want to know the will of God for my life. I can show you the will of God for your life. There's a few places it talks about the will of God for your life. Here's one of them. Never repay evil for evil. That's his will. Always seek after that which is good for one another and for all people. That means not just me and mine, but for the good of everybody. That's his will for your life. Rejoice always. That's his will. Pray without ceasing. That's his will. In everything, give thanks. It doesn't say for everything, give thanks. It says in everything, give thanks. That means in every situation that I find myself in, I can find something to be thankful for. Rather than being so aware of what's wrong, I can actually be so aware of what's right, and it's where I choose to put my focus that determines whether or not I'm thankful in that place or whether I'm thankful once I'm gone. If the only time I'm thankful is once I'm out, it proves that my eyes weren't on him when I was in. Like, if, if all I can do is look back and be like, oh, God, thank you for getting me out of that place. Oh, my goodness. The truth of the matter is, is probably what was supposed to happen in that place didn't happen because he wasn't putting me in that place so that I could try to get out. He was putting me there because he's inside of me and he wanted to be there. Hello? (laughs) 
If, I, if all I'm ever thankful for are things that are over, it means that in the moment, my eyes weren't upon him. If all I can do is thank him once things are done, then that means that I've lost sight of him in the process. Because he was there, he was good, and he was worthy of being praised in the, in the moment as well as after the moment. It's Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego choosing to praise him before they go into the fire rather than once they come out. Like, they don't say, like, well, well, we'll wait and see, and if God delivers us, then we'll give him praise, and then we'll say he's worthy, and then we'll put our trust in him, and, and, and then put God to the test. Jesus said, he said, you don't put your God to the test. In other words, it's not a test of his goodness. You're not in this thing saying, well, I guess we'll find out if God's good or not. No, you should have already found that he was good so that when you're in that place, you're convinced of it already and you can actually live by faith rather than saying, well, if he does, then I'll say. And the problem with that is that so many times we don't get a chance to go back into those situations and be like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and proclaim the goodness of God to the king once we're out. Why? Because everybody would say it once they're out of the fire. That means nothing at that point besides a testimony. What really pierces the heart of a king is when before you go in, you look at him and you declare who God is, and then he watches God be who you said that he would be. So when you come out, he sees that before you went in, you knew something that caused you to walk in the way that you did. They said, what is your fire to us, O king? Our God will save us. And even if he doesn't, they're just letting him know, like, hey, we don't just love him because of what we believe he'll do. That's why they say even if he doesn't. It's not because they doubt that he's going to or because they don't think that he's going to. If they didn't think that he was going to, there's no way they walk into the fire with the confidence that they do. They believed and had complete faith that God would deliver them from that place. They wanted the king to know our love for him isn't just because we believe what he'll do. Our love for him is because of who he is. And so we walk into the fire completely in love and completely convinced of his goodness, not with the jury still out and the fire is the test of his goodness or not. He's not on trial in my life. He's not on trial in your life. Like the verdict's in, the cross declares, he's good. <laughs> the verdict was delivered when Jesus went to the cross in your behalf and my behalf and rose from the dead and brought us out of the grave with him and into the kingdom of light. Like at that point, the, the, it was decided, oh, he's good. He's better than we knew. He's more than we could ask for. It's why we're going to need faith to believe this thing, because it's better than we could understand or comprehend. Like Zach said, if I can't imagine the way it's going to come out, it's probably because it's so much better than what I could imagine on my own. Because he's able, not only is he able, he desires to do exceedingly and abundantly above all you could think or ask. So that means you're best guess at what it would look like for God to show up, it's probably beyond that. Because he's good. So the thing that, that really has been standing out to me lately is just this idea of thankfulness and living thankful. And, and not just thankful after the fact, but thankful in the middle of it. In everything, give thanks. You know the reason he says in everything, give thanks? It's a perspective thing. 
Because it means that no matter what I find myself in, if I know that in every situation I'm to give thanks, I have to find him in that situation. I have to find something he's promised, something he said, something he's done, who he is. I have to find him in that situation. And to find him, I have to take my eyes off of that. And simply taking my eyes off of that and looking for him is the first step in actually being free so that I'm not living by circumstances, but every word that proceedeth from his mouth. I'm not living by the bread alone or the lack of bread alone. I'm actually living by the words that proceed from his mouth. And so if, if, if I would decide this and this would be settled, just like right before that, he says, don't repay evil for evil. Like that's a settled thing. That's something we can decide. Like for the rest of my life, I'm never going to give myself the right to act in an evil way, no matter how evil someone acts towards me. Like I can settle that in my heart. Well, will I be perfect at it? Hopefully, but if not, there's grace. But if not, there's grace. But grace isn't just me, God saying it's okay when I miss it. It's actually the power for me to live the way that I know I should before I do. Why? Because Jesus never sinned, yet he was a man full of grace. Grace had to be more than just the covering up for sin. It had to actually be the empowerment to live the life the Father called me to live, or Jesus wouldn't need to be filled with grace because he was a man without sin and full of grace. Maybe the reason he had so little room for sin is because he had so much grace. He was full of grace. There was no place for something else to come in. Maybe it has to be more than just God smoothing over my sin, though. It has to actually be the empowerment to live the life he's called me to live. And so if he said to not repay evil for evil, that means there's a grace and there's an ability in Christ led by the Spirit for me to actually never repay evil with evil ever again. Done. Settled, sorted. But seek the good. And then, and then but right after that, rejoice always. Like that's a decision that I can make. Like God, I'm going to constantly be in a place of rejoicing. Which means I'm going to constantly be reminding myself of who you are, of what you've done, and of what you've promised. We, we might be surprised if we would rejoice always that giving thanks in everything would come naturally. Why? Because my eyes are already fixed on him because it's a lifestyle of living, rejoicing. I'm not, I'm not like, it's not like, oh, I live my life oblivious to who God is or what God's done until I find myself in a hard situation and then I seek him out. Like sometimes we do that. Sometimes we just get busy with life. Like just being honest, like we get busy with life and things are going really well and, and, and we're just kind of cruising along and we're doing our things and then all of a sudden we find ourselves in a hard time and then we start to try to find something to rejoice and something to be thankful for and seek for a promise of God. But what if we would actually settle in our hearts like for the rest of my life I'm going to constantly rejoice? Which means what? I'm going to constantly focus on whatsoever is good, lovely, excellent, worthy of praise. Like, it all ties together, this thing called the, the gospel, the Bible, the letters that are written to us for our instruction. Like, they all tie together. They're not these standalone things that you just pick and choose. It's like you start to realize if I would live by every word that's proceeded from his mouth, every bit of it kind of ties itself up in a neat little thing called the gospel. Because if I would only meditate on that, on whatsoever things are good, lovely, excellent, of good report, worthy of praise, and true, that means what my mind is focused on is him, because he is good, lovely, excellent, worthy of praise, and true. So if my mind is constantly fixed on him, then the natural response is going to be rejoicing. Why? Because I'm constantly reminding myself of who he is and what he's done. When's the last time, literally, outside of like on a Sunday morning, that you found yourself just sitting there saying, thank you. Like overcome with his, nothing we ever say here is to condemn, it's always to call us into 
But just being honest, like a good heart check is when's the last time, outside of a church service, outside of gathering with friends, outside of anything, just alone and communing with the Father, that I sat there and all I could say was, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I wrote this down. If I begin to cultivate a lifestyle of thankfulness in the good times, it will be a natural thing to do in the hard times because it becomes who I am rather than something I do. Like, the time to learn to sail is in the quiet bay. And then what's learned in the quiet bay is proven on the stormy sea. You can learn to sail in the middle of a storm, but it's a horrible time to learn, and you're going to have an awful time doing it. You can. Like, if that's where you're at, like, hey, <laughs> learn to sail in the storm. Don't just give up, throw your hands in the air, and drown and die. But better than that would be to, in the calm season of life, be learning what it is to sail, be learning what it is to anchor myself in his word, be learning what it is to cultivate a lifestyle of rejoicing and thankfulness so that when I find myself in the middle of a storm, it's a natural extension of what I've learned here rather than trying to figure it out there. It, the middle of a storm where, where you're afraid for your life is a horrible time to try to learn how to do the things that God's called you to do. It's much easier when you're in that quiet bay, and then what you've learned there just becomes proven. That's what it says when it says that, that, for, that when we get the testing of our faith, it proves something in us. Like we prove to ourselves, even to our own hearts, that we actually believe what we say in those seasons. It's an amazing thing to prove to yourself that what you say is actually true about yourself. And you see that you've been transformed by the gospel. And your heart believes the words that come from your mouth. Your heart, when you're speaking, your heart is bearing witness because it knows that in the times when you've been tested, what's inside of you has actually been proven to be true. I remember the very first time I actually had a revelation of that. And not the first time it ever happened, but it was like the revelation of that hit me. Um, it was the time when... I went to meet a kid. I've, I've told this story before, but it stands out to me so much. And it wasn't even like a big deal. It wasn't like anything that was a huge thing. But maybe it was a really big deal because when I found myself facing that, something that was a big deal, it was what sustained me in that time. I, I went and met someone down in, in Clemson, right, right on the, the campus, basically, at a, at a restaurant. And I brought my, um, my, my laptop with me because I got there early and I was doing some work while I was waiting to meet him. And and I put, when he got there, I put my laptop on the seat next to me, which happened to be black, and it's in a black laptop bag. And so we get done eating lunch, and it was really good just sharing truth and, and the gospel and answering some questions that he had about Jesus and stuff. And, and uh, we got done, and we prayed, we got up, and I was just really excited just because you could see, you know when you're talking to someone and you see him getting it? Like, you can see that, like the, 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 that you're probably just watering. There had to already be seeds there. You're pro maybe maybe you're, you're watering again, or maybe you're starting to get to see the fruit start to grow because it's like it was clicking, and all of a sudden they're like, oh, wait, and they, they get it. And it was one of those times, and I, I live for that stuff. And so I, I was just so excited. We got done hanging out. We prayed. I got up. I got in my car, and I'm just worshiping all the way back here. And I get to the church, and I, um, and I look, and I'm like, oh, no, my computer. And panic grips me. I was anxious, <laughs> and I was like, oh, no, I, you, you don't leave a MacBook Pro on a college campus. Like, you just don't do that. And I'm like, oh, God, I need that. And so 
I try to call the number when I looked up the place, the little cafe, cafe that we were at, and I tried calling it, and it said the number's been disconnected, and now I'm just like, oh, no. And I, I get out of my car, and I shut the door, and I come into the church. There's another guy here, and, um, and he was just making some coffee. And I was like, all right, I'll just grab a cup of coffee. I'll figure this out. Maybe I'll have to drive back down. And So he leaves. I get my coffee, and I walk out the door, and I hear the door click behind me. And not, no problem. I reach my pocket, and I realize... And then panic really sets in. Because I'm locked out, and I don't have my keys, and I'm pretty sure my car's locked. And I walk over to my car, and it's, it's like August. It's like 100, and, and you're, you're out there, you know? It's like 100 degrees. And I'm, I'm sweating, and because, and you know, when you're a little bit anxious, you start sweating. And you're, I'm like, I was a mess. And I'm, I'm out, I go, and I walk, and I pull the handle of the door, and sure enough, the keys are inside the car. And so I'm like, okay, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to have to break in. I can do this. I, I looked, and I found a little flag that the landscapers had used to mark sprinkler heads. And so I got that, and I found a little uh, a, a stake that was in the ground of wood. And so I, I, I put the stake of wood in the window, and I'm looking, and I put the coffee up top, and I'm looking in there. And as I do, I bump the coffee with my arm, and it pours down my arm. I yank my arm away. And then the coffee is now dumping into the window gap that I have pried open with the wood, and it's pouring inside of my car. And I'm standing there hot, frustrated, tired, nervous about my computer. I have no way to get in the church. I have no way to get in my car. And my phone is in the car. I left my phone in the car, so I can't even call anybody. And all I wanted to do was manifest Jesus. No, I wanted to kick my car as hard as I possibly could and say things that I hadn't said in a long time. And instead, in that moment, I looked around and I started to laugh a little bit and I said, God, I am so thankful that you're making me a patient person. Father, I thank you that you've changed me. There was a time where this would cause me to lose my mind and do all kinds of things that look nothing like you and not make the situation worse. And all of a sudden, I'm communing with him. Father, I thank you that, that you have the ability to help me unlock my car. You have the ability to protect my laptop. You have the ability to make sure that every bit of this is okay and works out for my good. And Father, I'm thankful for who you are. I'm so thankful I have you in this moment. What would I do if I didn't have you? And it's like, all of a sudden, everything changed. I'm still locked out of my car. I still have a coffee burn on my arm. I still don't have my laptop, my phone, and my keys are still inside of my car. But I'm changed. See, and that's the thing I think sometimes that if we're not careful, we'll, we start to look around and say, well, if, if, if Jesus changes everything, then how come this, this? And you don't understand. Jesus doesn't go. He's not your janitor that goes around and cleans up all the messes. He changes you so that you have the ability to be the answer in the moment. It says, you know, we sing, when you walk into the room, every hopeless situation ceases to exist. The truth of the matter is, is Christ in you is the hope of glory. So when you walk into the room, every hopeless situation ceases to exist. Why? Because the, the Christ, who is hope, lives inside of you. And so there can't be a hopeless situation when hope itself has walked into the room. And we need to be aware of that stuff and actually see ourselves. It's Christ in you is the hope of glory. 
So you walked into the room in every hopeless situation. There can't be a hopeless situation. Why? Because hope lives inside of me. And he's a man named Jesus. And he's here now because I'm here. And he's in me. Like, that's not arrogant and heady. That's just the truth. And he wants us to live aware of that. And so I looked down, and, and, and I had a little Honda Civic then. And the, the, <laughs> it didn't have, like, the locks that you could pull or any of that. It just has, a, like, a straight round post that's a little bit fatter at the top than it is on the rest of it. And I'm like, and it became a game. Like, literally everything changed because in a moment I chose to put my attention on him and allow the fruit of righteousness to work itself in me. And I'm like, I bet if I make a little circle with this thing that I could push down on it, and if I could get it to pop over that little knob, then I could just angle it a little bit to the side and pull that line. Sure enough. And I'm like, oh, thank you, Lord. I open the door. I get my phone. I wipe the coffee up. And I think, how am I, I, I really want to call there because if I remember right, the place was only open for lunch. And it's well past lunch now. And plus, I, I just the sooner I can talk to someone there, the better chance there is of finding my laptop. And so I, I didn't have Facebook, but I just searched for that place. And I scrolled past the number that popped up, and I found their Facebook page. And on there, there was a different phone number. So I called it, and I said, hey, uh, I was down for lunch. I left my laptop in a black bag, and she finished my sentence and said, is it a silver MacBook Pro? And I said, yeah. She said, okay, I found it, and we're actually closed now. So what I did is I brought it to the restaurant across the street and gave it to them, and they put it in their safe so that it'll be there when you come. Just go there and go to the, to the bar and tell them you're there to get the laptop that was left across the street. And I'm like, yes, Lord. Of course my laptop is locked inside of a safe right now. Why wouldn't it be? <laughs> and I got in my car, and I began worshiping him. But here's the truth. I didn't worship him because of the laptop being okay. I didn't worship him because I was able to get into my car. All those things are excellent and worthy of praise. But all I could think the whole drive there was, God, you really have changed me. This gospel really has changed me. And the things that I say... I actually believe and they manifest themselves when I find myself in a situation where before everything but you would have come out of me. And all I could do the whole way down there, I mean, it felt like the quickest drive of my life. I just worshiped him and rejoiced because he's changed me. And I became aware of that. And my heart became convinced that I really was who I say I am. And that he really was who he said he was. And that he was really doing in me what he said he would do. And so I, I, was, I was reading in Philippians, then this led me to the next place that I was reading, and it says, Philippians 4, 6, everyone knows this, right? Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. You have anxiety here and you have a peace that guards your mind here. And there's something in the middle that gets you from one to the other. And it's prayer and supplication. It's communion with God, but it's with thankfulness. How do I thank him when I'm in a situation that is causing anxiety? I find a promise from him that speaks to the thing that's causing anxiety. 
And suddenly I have something to thank him for, which takes my mind off of the thing that was causing anxiety. It puts it on him and his promise, and a peace comes that guards my heart and mind. But here's the thing. Why wait till you find yourself in a place of anxiety? Because he says, be anxious over nothing. If you will do this, then this will actually guard you. Like, we're really good sometimes, you know, like as we grow in Christ, we, we become really good at when things make us anxious or things make us fearful, you know, we can get alone and we can find a promise and we can, we can then anchor ourselves on that promise and that promise keeps us from a place of anxiety and fearfulness. But what if we were constantly rejoicing and constantly giving thanks to him and it actually became a thing that guarded our heart and mind in Christ Jesus so that anxiety didn't have a way in? So that it didn't become the, the, the aspirin to get rid of the anxiety. It actually became the thing that prevented anxiety from even having a way in to begin with. What a better way to live is to, it, that, that rather than, 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 than waiting for anxiety to come and then say, okay, I'm going to go deal with this anxiety, to actually live in a way that prevents anxiety from having a place in my life because the peace of God guards me because I'm constantly thanking him in my prayers to him, which means I'm constantly aware of his promises over my life. Wouldn't that be better? Wouldn't it be way better if you actually lived that way, where, where instead of actually trying to find a, a cure for a headache, you found something that prevented the headache from even beginning in the first place. And there was a peace that guarded my heart and my mind in Christ Jesus. That's what he says. Be anxious for nothing. Listen, he's not saying when you find yourself anxious, here's the cure. He's actually telling you how you can live the way that he's called you to. Because every time he calls you to something, there's the ability to actually do it is contained within the, the, the command. So when he says be anxious over nothing, he's not saying so if you find yourself being anxious, here's how you cure it. Although it, that, that is true. If you find yourself in an anxious place, this will definitely take care of that. But what he's saying is I don't want you to live anxiously. I don't want you to live in anxiety. So instead of living in anxiety, live in a place of constant communion with me and thankfulness, and that will actually guard your heart and mind in Christ Jesus so that anxiety isn't a way of life. Thankfulness is. It's an exchange of one for the other. Why? Because anxiety is me being aware of a problem apart from being aware of his promise. That's all anxiety is. Anxiety is me aware of a problem, but not aware of his promise that answers the problem. Thankfulness in my prayer and my supplication and my communion with him means that I'm actually aware of his promise because that's what I'm thanking him for, which means what? I'm so aware of his promise that the problem doesn't look like a problem. So anxiety doesn't have a way in. I'm telling you, re regret is remembering my past apart from the blood. Anxiety is thinking about my future apart from his presence. That's, that's the truth. Anytime I'm living in regret, I'm remembering my past apart from the blood of Jesus because the blood of Jesus washes me from all unrighteousness. It removes my sin as far from me as the east is from the west. It's lost in the sea of forgetfulness. He'll forgive it and remember it no more. That's all true. So if I remember my past apart from him, it causes regret. If I picture my future apart from him, it causes anxiety. That's the way that most Christians live. We live in a constant state, if we're not careful, of regret and anxiety. Constantly regretting what we've done, constantly fearful of what's to come. And the cure for all of that is to keep my mind focused on him and fixed and stayed on him, who will keep me in perfect peace. He will keep in perfect peace those whose hearts and minds are stayed, fixed. What does that mean? It means that no matter what's going on, my eye is single. My whole body is flooded with light. We can live that way. How do I know? Because anytime he calls us to something, 
grace comes on it. Like when I actually believe it, because grace works through faith, so when I believe that, it's not just a pie-in-the-sky idea of like, oh, wouldn't that be nice to live free from anxiety? I'm talking about where I actually read his words, and rather than saying, oh, man, that would be really amazing. See, Jesus said to the disciples, follow me, and I'll make you fishers of men. They didn't sit on their boats and go, whoa, wouldn't it be cool to be a fisher of men? What an amazing promise that is. What an amazing offer that is. That's not how they became fishers of men. They became by actually believing that if they did what he said, he would do what he said. And so they actually had to follow him to become fishers of men. And they believed that because he said he would do that, that the ability to to do it would be there. It's the same thing when he says, be anxious over nothing, rather than being like, wow, that would be an amazing way to live. Actually take that and say, God, if you called me to a place of no anxiety, that means that you have given me the ability through your son and through the spirit of God that lives inside of me, the grace is there to actually live this way. And then faith comes, and and actually grace comes upon that faith, and we actually can live that way because there's actually an ability, because every command contains the ability. But we have to actually believe that that's true. And the problem is, is that we live in a world that's set up to try to convince us of the other. You, You realize there's just as many Christians who suffer with anxiety and depression as there is non Christians. That ought not be. That ought not be. And I'm not, that's not to shame if anyone's living with anxiety and depression. That should give us an excitement and a hope that says, if he's called me to live this way, there's a place in him where I actually can. And so my hope isn't in anything else but him. And I'm going to continue to press into him and continue to let him minister to my heart and continue to seek him so that the things that used to cause me anxiety don't have a voice in my life anymore because his voice is speaking a better word. That's the cure for it. It is. All right, one last thing, and I'll close up with this. And, and oh, yeah, I, I wanted to, to point this out, too, because sometimes when we talk about thankfulness and, and rejoicing in all things, we can talk about, you know, in bad circumstances. But the truth is, it's just as important when things are going well. And, and I wrote this down, and I really believe this. Every blessing that I don't thank God for will in turn become a source of pride in my life. Every blessing that I don't thank God for will, be, will in turn become a source of pride. It will become something that I feel like I earned or that I am entitled to because of who I am rather than a gift from God and an expression of who he is. See, don't, be careful that in our discovering of who we are in Christ, we don't get an entitled attitude that feels like God owes us these things because of who we are rather than being grateful for these things because we see them as an expression of who he is. And if I'm constantly grateful, if I'm constantly thankful, if I'm cultivating a lifestyle of rejoicing and thankfulness, it ensures that every good thing that comes into my life turns into a source of praise rather than a source of pride. Because anything that doesn't become a source of praise will eventually become a source of pride. Because if I don't recognize it came from him, I'll have to recognize eventually that it came from me. I did this. I earned this. I deserve this. I deserve nothing apart from him, which means every good thing that I receive, the praise goes to him. Even my ability to obey him comes because he called me to obedience. So I I was just reading through the Gospels innocently, and I came upon Matthew chapter 14. It's Jesus with 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 the fish, 
and the loaves. It says, when it was evening, the disciples came to him and said, this place is desolate. The hour is already late. Send the crowds away that they may go into the villages and buy food for themselves. But Jesus said to them, they don't need to go away. You give them something to eat. We always are looking to send people somewhere to get something that Jesus thinks that we could give if we would trust him. Like this is just a side note, but why are we always wanting to send people to someone for an answer when the answer to everything lives inside of us if we really believe that he's the answer? I'm not saying that there's certain people don't know different things and walk in authority with things. I'm saying, though, at some point we should start to realize that, you know what, most of the situations that he puts me in, he's empowered me to be the answer because of the Christ in me. And they're like, send them away. He says, they don't need to go anywhere. Quit sending people away. Oh, God, would you just send laborers in their path? What about you? Like, that sounds so holy, you know? We pray, oh, God, just send laborers. And it's like, well, wait a minute, you've got two hands. Jesus said a long time ago, the harvest? We pray, God, for the harvest. No, Jesus said thousands of years ago, the harvest is great. It's the laborers that are few. We're so busy praying for a harvest that we forget that the harvest is there. It's the laborers that he wants. And that he, says, so, 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 he said, so pray that God would send laborers. And we take that to mean we pray for him to send laborers. And I think Jesus is saying, like, pray that he would send laborers. Oh, and guys, go into all the world and preach the gospel. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cast out demons, and, pre and preach the gospel of the kingdom. What is he saying? He's saying, pray that God would send laborers. Oh, and then realize, like, hey, that's you. And Jesus said, they don't need to go away. You give them something to eat. They said to him, we have here only five fishes, loaves and two fishes. He said, bring them to me. Ordering the people to sit down on the grass, he took the five loaves and the two fish. He looked upward into heaven. He blessed the food. And breaking the loaves, he gave them to the disciples. And the disciples gave them to the crowds. And they all ate and were satisfied. They picked up what was left over of the broken pieces, 12 full baskets. There were about 5,000 men who ate besides women and children. That word blessed there means to speak well of, to bless, or to thank. So here's the deal. Picture this. Jesus says, you give them something to eat. And in the command always is the ability. So when he said, you give them something to eat, the ability for them to feed every person was present. And all they can think about is what they lack rather than what they have. So he says, okay, give it to me. It's the same bread. It's the same number of people. And somehow everyone gets fed by the same disciples that he said, you feed them. And the only thing he did was to bless what they already had, to be thankful. He says, looking up to heaven, he blessed it. I promise you, the problem isn't that you don't have enough. Why? Because Christ in you is always enough. The problem often is, is that we disdain or talk down or look down upon what we do have. They said, we only have this. Jesus says, give it to me. Because that in the hands of somebody who's not thankful for what they have is not enough. But you let that go into the hands of somebody who actually sees it as enough and is thankful for it, and suddenly it becomes more than enough, and there's 12 baskets left over. And there wasn't one more fish, and there wasn't one more loaf between the time they gave it to him and the time he gave it to them. He broke it up into pieces, gave it to the disciples, and they, as they gave, 
the miracle happen. And the only thing he did was take what they were speaking down about and bless it and be thankful for it. What if that thing that you've been speaking badly about, that you look down upon, that you don't see as being enough, is actually more than enough if you would just learn to be thankful for it? What if our eyes are so busy being fixed on on what we don't have and how it can't happen that we forgot to be thankful for what we do have and expectant for what could happen? So there was a time where I learned this lesson. Patty and I learned this lesson probably more vividly than any other time in our lives. And I say this to stir faith inside of you. We had this conviction in our hearts that we wanted to be debt-free. And we talked to a friend of ours who had a lot of financial wisdom. And, because there is. There's, there's wisdom in finding somebody who's God-given wisdom to in a, in a situation and, and, or in an area. And so we, we talked to him about it. And, and we told him, we said, you know, we've cut our cable. We've cut our gym membership. We've, you know, we've cut out everything. We don't hire babysitters anymore. You know, we don't have to. Our kids are old enough now. We can go out on our own. And, you know, we do this. And we've done this. We've basically done everything we can. And with that, we can pay, with cutting everything out of our lives, we're able to pay like an extra $180 a month towards our mortgage. We had $105,000 on our home. And, and looking at that in the natural, that's not very much. It's going to get you, what, about 2400 extra dollars a month paid towards a mortgage. That's about 40 years to pay it off at that rate. And, and he said, here's what I'd do. I'd take that, and I'd just get before him, and I'd ask him to bless it. And I'd thank him for what you do have and start sowing that faithfully into it and watch what he does. And so we, me and Patty did that. We literally took that extra money that month, and she had it in front of her, and we got on our knees. I remember right next to our bed, in between the bed and the dresser, in this little space, and she has this, this, this um, calendar that has a pocket in it that she keeps all of her bills in. She does all the bills and our budget and all that stuff. She's super good at it, and, and she likes that kind of stuff. And so she took the extra money, and she's holding it, and we just said, God, would you, we thank you for this. God, we bless it. And, and we, we know that... that we feel like you've called us to be a people that, are, that live with no debt. And so we believe that, that because of that, like this is your heart and, and, and thank you. And, and we just thanked him. Rather than saying we can only, we were like, thank you that we can. It was just a small shift. It didn't make any more money produced in our hands. It wasn't like all of a sudden there was a stack of cash there. It was still just 200 bucks. But it was $200 we were thankful we could give rather than only $200. See, they said, we only have this. Jesus says, Father, I thank you that I do have this. There's a difference. And so I got up and went out of the room, and my wife didn't tell me this. But in that moment, the Lord spoke to her and said, by this time next year, your house will be paid off. And it was so far outside of the realm of possibility of thinking at that moment that she just wrote it down in her prayer journal and she said she thought, well, maybe Roy's going to write a book or, you know, maybe, <laughs> who knows, right? <laughs> and she said she thought maybe there was some natural way it would happen, but she just believed that. She didn't even tell me. Sometimes it's wise to not tell other people the things that God entrusts to you because if he didn't speak it to them, they might not have the capacity to believe it like you do. It's okay to just treasure something in your heart like Mary. It doesn't mean you don't have faith. It means that you know that you do and maybe the person you would share it with wouldn't have the same that you do. It's okay. She didn't share it with me. And so a couple of months later, I went on a hunting trip, and I, I got home, and there was one of those orange tags that said I had missed a certified letter. Now, in the past, those have not been good things, 
If you've ever had to pay taxes that you owed <laughs> that were past due, that's how the IRS lets you know. They send a certified letter. And so I was like, oh, geez. But I noticed that it said the send, in the sender and receiving thing, it said Gisi. So I thought, oh, maybe it's my brother. You know, he would send me power of attorney letters sometimes for me to go to a closing and represent him when he bought real estate or something. So I just kind of figured that's what it was. And me and Patty were heading out on a, on a date that day because one of the things that we did was we switched up. And on Friday, my day off, we went on a date during the day while the kids were at school being babysat so we didn't have to pay a babysitter on Friday nights. You do what you have to do, right? And so I said, well, let's swing by the post office and I'll grab that and then we'll go to lunch. And so I went to the post office and I brought the little note up and the lady asked for my ID and I gave her my ID and she brought it out and she put the thing on the front and she's doing her and the whole time I'm looking at this little envelope there and it says my name and address in the sender column and my name and address in the middle. And I thought, man, someone really wanted to make sure I got this thing. I wonder what it is. And at this point, I know it's not the IRS, so everything else is a bonus. <laughs> And so I, I get it, and I, as I'm walking out to the car, I open the envelope up, and there is an anonymous certified check for $105,000, the exact amount that we needed to pay off the mortgage of our home. And I looked at it, and you know, you see people like on TV, and they win something, and you're like, act excited. <laughs> you don't understand sometimes when that you see that, like it's so overwhelming that my wife thought it was bad news. I put it back in the envelope. I walked like a fog. I mean, it felt like my head was on a balloon. Back to the car. I opened the door. I got in, and I sat down. She goes, what is wrong? I took the envelope, and I handed it to her, and she was afraid to open it at this point because she thinks it's terrible news because of the way that I look. She opened it, and she had no problem being excited. <laughs> she started kicking her legs. She was like, what? I promptly went to take off and went forward into the curb instead of backwards because the car was in drive instead of reverse. I shouldn't have even been driving at that point. We went to our bank. I'm like, we got to make sure this is real. So we went to our bank and we gave it to them and the lady called the bank that it was written from and the bank confirmed it. They said, yep, the, the money was, was put in for that check. There's just a, a note here that they want to remain anonymous, the people that wrote the check. And we went straight to the place that had our mortgage, BB&T Bank, and wrote a check for our, our mortgage that day. Before we thought about it, before we started to think about what would be wise to do and interest rates. And later I had someone, oh, I'm serious, because later I had someone tell me, they're like, you know, your loan was 3.5% interest. You could have taken 105, you could have put it here, it would have made more. You could have paid your mortgage payment plus put money in the bank every month. And I didn't care about all that stuff. I was like, I don't care because I know what the God has asked us to do, and I know why we have this money. And so, so we, we went and paid off our home with that, and it taught me a valuable lesson. And that was this, that if I would just thank him for what I did have, that he would be able to do way more with it, far above I could ever ask or think, than if I would look down on it and say, I only have this. You know the disciples' hearts where they were at because they looked at Jesus and they said, we only have this. In another version it says, the little fish. You think Jesus cared about how big the fish were? It was the disciples that were well aware of the size of the fish. Why? 
Because their eyes aren't on Jesus. Their eyes aren't on God. They're not thinking about what he's called them to. They're looking at what they don't have and the thing that's in front of them. And all they can think is, we don't have enough. I'm telling you right now, everything he's called you to, he's equipped you for. And everything he's asked of you, he's provided the way for you to do it. And it might be the thing that you're looking down on that actually he wants to use to be the thing that you accomplish what he's called you to with. Don't despise it. Be thankful for it. Same bread, the same fish, go from hands that look down on them to hands that bless them and suddenly become capable of feeding thousands and thousands of people. They were carrying the answer around in their hand and they were unaware of it because they weren't thankful for what they had. They were aware of what they lacked. I'm just saying, like, I I think that there's something to that that God wants to stir in our hearts of thankfulness, of constantly rejoicing, of always being thankful, of always living in such a way that we're aware of him to where rejoicing is a natural response because our eyes are fixed on the one who's worth praising. So, Father, would you just come and, and, and do what you do in our hearts, God, and would you just cause us to take our eyes off of whatever they would be on that's not you, Father? And focus them on you and find you and remember what you've done. Remember what you've promised, God. That when we look at our past, all we see is you. When we look into our future, all we see is you. God, that we would be so aware of what we've been given. And we would be thankful for it, Father. That we wouldn't have time to talk about what we lack. That your praise would ever be on our lips. That thankfulness would always be found in our mouths. The rejoicing would always be found in our hearts. That we would be capable of stewarding what you've given us. God, don't let us walk around with a miracle in our hands looking down on it and not seeing what you want to accomplish accomplished. Don't let us walk around with the answer and speak badly about it. Let us be aware of what you've called us to. And God, let thankfulness be the thing that positions our heart to say, he can do anything. He's able. He's good. We love you, God. We thank you for who you are. We ask that you would just go with us this week, Father, that your spirit would be changing. God, if we've been people who've complained continually, God, that we would find a new song on our lips, God. That we'd find a new song in our heart, God, that our eye would become fixed on you, that we would be single-eyed, God, that our whole body would be flooded with light so that when we open our mouths, God, light would come roaring forth. In Jesus' name, amen.